as we jump in today to the Word of God, um, we have been, we started this series last week titled Wise Up. And I don't know about you, but I have made some dumb decisions in my life. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, have, I have tapped into stupid <laughs> in times in my life. And, uh, and then I've tapped into wisdom. And as we studied last week, um, this concept of wisdom, and what we decided to do was jump into the book of Proverbs, which is one of the three wisdom books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Job of all books. They're the wisdom books in the scripture. And Proverbs is written primarily by a man by the name of Solomon. And uh, we shared with you last week, 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that God comes to Solomon. He's the new king of Israel. He's a young man. His dad has passed away and he's basically inherited the kingdom. And God comes to him in a dream. He says, ask anything you will and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, in his, in his kind of that wake, dream kind of mode, he says to God, he goes, I don't know how to handle your people. I don't know how to lead them. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the discernment. I don't have the smarts for it. So instead of asking for money or to kill off all my enemies that are making my life miserable, he says, God, would you just give me wisdom? And the Lord speaks to him and says, not only will I give you wisdom, he says, but I will give you all these other pieces as well. And we see then that Solomon becomes, and God actually says this about him. He prophesies over him. He says, you will be the wisest man to ever walk the planet, obviously outside of Jesus Christ. But, and, and never before will there have been anyone as smart or wise as you. And never again will there be anybody as smart or wise as you. And what, what happened was is that God literally downloaded into Solomon in a moment, in a dream, downloaded him what we call, in Hebrew, excuse me, what we call it wisdom, but the Hebrews, the Hebraic language, calls it chokmah. It is the internal, supernatural wisdom of God, the creator of heaven and earth. He, he literally fashioned and formed and, 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 and weaved into life his wisdom on how to navigate this life, this crazy world in which we live. God has put in the fabric, he's sewn into the fabric his deep wisdom, and we can tap into the of God, the wisdom of God, and thereby be a success or thereby walk in peace or joy in this life because we tapped into the wisdom of God. And instead of me trying to explain it, if you weren't here last week, we, we pulled a little video clip from the Bible Project, guys, which is unbelievable. The best way I could ever explain this Hokma concept, this wisdom concept. So let's take for a second and let you watch that one more time, about, about 90 seconds. Watch this. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And Hokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into Hokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against Hokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them. But the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. Come on, the hokma of God. And so as we jump in today, um, we're going to do for the next couple weeks, we're going to pull out the key scriptures of Proverbs 
that actually teach us wisdom in these different areas. And uh, so we actually started last week reading Proverbs together in our daily life, reading the Bible together. How many of you guys have been reading Proverbs with me for a couple of days? All right, let's go. The rest of you can jump in. Throw in the QR code back up if you have that. You can, you can grab this QR code, go to the Bible piece with us and catch back up. Um, you know, we're reading one chapter a day out of Proverbs, and it has already, just in my family, we're sitting around the table talking about the wisdom of God and that we're finding in Proverbs. And today, we're going to jump into the wisdom of God in reference to friendships. Everybody say friendships. friendships. You can do better than that. Say friendships. friendships. And so as we jump into the friendships, I don't know about you, but the greatest trouble I've ever been in in my life has been the result of friends. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So as we jump in, let's go straight into, and all I'm going to be doing is pulling Proverbs passages out and just kind of laying them out a little bit and looking at them. So the first bit of wisdom that we find are divine wisdom truths for friendships. That's what I'm calling this. we got seven key points that has been woven into his teaching in Proverbs about how to have wisdom in friendships. And the first thing that he deals with is having friends, godly friends versus having ungodly friends. Uh, the, the foolishness of walking with people that, uh, that don't share the same values as you are. And, and so in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26, he starts off like this. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. So look at this hokma, this wisdom of the earth, the wisdom of God. Well, when it, the, the godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. And I don't know about you, but I have had both sides of that. I've had good godly friends that have given me good godly uh, advice, and I've had wicked friends that have helped me get in all kinds. In fact, most of the trouble I've ever gotten into is because of my ungodly friends. You probably don't know this, um, but when I was in junior high, I started hanging out with a group of kids uh, that did not love God, did not know God. And um, it started real simple. You know, they started, you know, started smoking weed and so then they started introducing me to that, and so I would slip away from my parents and smoke a little bit of weed, and I, you know, didn't. And then one day they stepped it up to some other drugs. Somewhere when I was about 16, I was over at this house with a group of my ungodly friends, and they were doing some harder drugs, and the cops busted in, and uh, and we all went to jail. I went to jail not having done anything. I just was there in the house. You know how it rolls. Once you get in juvie and you start going through that process. Then you just start like, well, then this is who I am. And so I started going down a pathway and met more ungodly friends, got more involved. In that. Meanwhile, my youth group friends are like, what's going on with him? And I, my parents are like, has he lost his mind? And, uh, and so then we got in, once I got out of juvie, um, you know, we, it started a habit. And, of course, my parents weren't going to give me any kind of money now. They didn't trust me. So we ended up getting in a situation, stealing cars. And uh, we stole this one, uh, this, this one Ford Taurus, which you should never steal. It's a worthless car. And we stole this car, and, uh, and we ended up getting in a police chase, and we sideswiped this car and really hurt some, uh, a family. And, uh, and so then I was in jail for a number of years, and uh, y'all don't know that about me. And the reason why you don't know that about me, because it never happened. And I'll tell you why it never happened. It never happened for one reason and one reason only. Because I had a mama, when I was acting stupid in junior high, she started praying and said, that boy right there better get him some better friends. And so she started working my butt over. Come on, stay with me now. She started working my butt over and say, you're not coming home after being with them dummies over there acting like that. So I'm going to tell you, you can't even go to the house anymore. She started praying Proverbs over me. And somewhere about eighth grade, I made a shift in my brain and went, wait a minute, the stupid friends are only getting me in trouble. Or had I not done that, the first story I told would have been my life story. 
good friends, godly friends. Literally, it says, give you good advice. The wicked lead them astray. Look at Proverbs 13, 20 says about foolish friends. It says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise, you get wise. See, the problem with some of you, you're living at a level of dumbness because that's who you run with. That's the bottom line. It says, but those who walk with the wise grow wise. And those uh, who are companions of fools, you're going to suffer harm. It's going to happen. You have the ability to make choices on a daily basis. You can make wise choices. You can make foolish choices. And I'm sorry, I disagree with the position of a younger generation now that they are a victim. They are not a victim. You made dumb choices and you got yourself in this situation. You can make better choices and not have this situation. And somehow we as a culture have embraced all of this foolish thinking that they're a victim, that they can't help it, that that's just what it is. Oh my goodness, this is now their identity. No, it's not your identity. Whatever your identity was you can make a choice to get out of it I'll never forget I came to my mom and dad I'd gotten in trouble at school they were they gave me licks at school they used to could beat you by the way they gave me licks at school and then they and then I got home and I was ticked off and told my mom about it and they were about to whip me again and I was so mad I said I didn't do it I didn't do it this time and I didn't do it she said what do you mean you didn't do it I said I didn't disrupt the class what happened was the teacher was on the on the board writing something one of my friends did something stupid I laughed about it she turned around saw me she sent me to the office and while I was in the office they gave me licks and I got home and they were all mad about it too and I said I didn't do it my mom looked me in the eye and she said Adam I believe you because you don't lie to me she said I believe you, but here's the problem you now have a reputation of being an idiot in class so you know good and well that most time you are doing that Oh, yeah, yeah, most time I was acting fool. And so when that teacher turned around and saw you, she said, automatically, this is his reputation. I know he's already doing it. And she sent you to the office. She said, you've got to change your reputation. Make a choice. Make a choice. And I, in that moment, I'll never forget, I made a choice. I, I went to the teacher. I said, listen, somehow you think that I'm an idiot. I'm working hard in this class. And so what can I do to change that in your mind? She goes, sit on the front row. I was like, that's where the weirdos sit. I'm not sitting up front. She says, sit on the front row and keep your mouth shut. I said, yes, ma'am, if that's what I got to do. I made a choice, left all my buddies behind, got an A in that class, and that teacher to this day would write a recommendation for me. Why? Because I made a choice. You can make choices. Stop being a victim. You're not a victim. Make better choices. Tap into the hokma of God. Stop running with dummies. This has gotten you in the position you're in. There's this thing called the law of averages. Psychologists talk about it all the time, the law of averages. And let me kind of just describe the law of average. Average. What you immerse yourself in is what you become. People are easily influenced by their environment. Your environment consists of the people, behaviors, and images that you have to interact with on a daily basis. The things that individuals do and the rules that dictate their thought processes are usually born of the influence surrounding them. You become your environment. And so this is why I beg you to come to church on Sundays, not because I need attendance, because I need you in a better environment than where you spend most of your day. I need you to get in an environment with other people who are running after Jesus with all of their heart and going out and trying to be light in the world, walking into that darkness, knowing all the pressure and the turmoil and the frustration and the backbiting and the gossip and all of the, you know, black people can't love white people and white people can't love black people, Hispanic can't, and all this mess that's lying in our culture. They are liars and we can walk together in love. We can have each other's back. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ and we can, we can walk in unity. And so I'm telling you right now, the law of averages is what happens. 
happens is you and I get caught up in the system around us and we become like it. In fact, psychologist Dr. David McLean, uh, thank you, of Harvard, he says this, the people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. In fact, there's a big push right now about your five. The five people that you speak to, engage with most in a day, you will be more like them than anything else that you want to be like. The people you associate with. If you just associate with your adult kids and you don't have any other friends, you're going to be just like them. In fact, Austin Clown says it like this. There's an economic theory out there that if you take the incomes of your five closest friends and you average them out, the resulting number will be pretty close to your own income. So entrepreneurs know this. If I hang out with a bunch of losers, that's, I'm going to be a loser. If I hang out with people who are poor, I'm going to be poor. But if I spend time with people who think different, if I spend time with people who are making money in entrepreneurship and, and, and doing great things, I will come up to their level. They will influence me the way they think will influence me. And this is the problem with most Christians is that they never spend time with Christians. They don't have any brothers and sisters in Christ that have their back. They walk with the ungodly and they can't figure out why they're ungodly. Listen to me, sweetheart. If you're married to a guy who has no Christian brothers in his life, you're in trouble. I'm going to just tell you right now. Because ain't one of those dudes telling him he shouldn't cheat on his wife. Why would they tell him that? That's the joy of sneaking around, being a dog. And he's going out into clubs, and you can't find him on Friday nights. And, oh, he went, he had his friend's car broke down. Let me tell you, bro, let me just tell you. If she's on Facebook and Instagram all night long with her little friend group from back in the day from high school, and she won't let you see the phone, and she's starting to act a little different, she's running with a group. She's running with a group of ungodliness. And it's just a matter of time before it affects your marriage and your relationship. I'm just telling you right now, who you run with is who you become, who you engage with. And then there's this thing called the law of attraction that psychologists talk about all the time. And that law of attraction says this, you will, uh, you will attract that which you give off. Do you know why you're always around depressed people? Because you give off that you're depressed. Do you know why people around Pastor Adam love life? Because I love life. And I find people who love life. You know why I'm not sitting around with gossips and slanders? Because I refuse to gossip and slander. And, and because there's a law of attraction. So people who don't want to gossip and slander are attracted to me and Miss Jamie. We're, they're, they're, it's Whatever you give off, you're going to attract that very thing. You say, man, why am I always, how come all my friends my whole life have been losers? What you giving off? What are you giving off? And listen, you give it, if you're giving off same-sex attraction, you're going to find those with same-sex attraction. You're giving off hatred and anger, you're going to find people who are... You give off bigger... My job, Jamie and I were sitting in the airport a couple weeks ago, and there were three, two ladies, excuse me, sitting about three seats down from us uh, in, the waiting, in the waiting space. And man, they was... I, the, these little white ladies, I'm telling you, Karen's together, they were yelling and talking and bad about their company. They were on some kind of little company trip or something, and they were gossiping about every doggone person in the office, about the bosses. I'm sitting here going, I would never work for that company. I don't know. And it, they found each other. They found each other, and they are sitting over there. And I, we're all look, we're all got our headsets. Everybody in the room looking over at them. We're putting our headsets in, trying not to listen to them. The one lady sitting next to us, Jamie sat down and said, my God, listen to them gossip over there. And this lady over here takes her headset out and says, I know they've been doing it for an hour. It sucks. <laughs> they found each other. Why? Because that's what they gave off. Yeah. What are you giving off? Because you're going to attract that which you're giving off. 
I think you need to understand that you, who you spend time with, you become like. Every one of you guys are in a great debate with me about who's the greatest basketball player of all time. Is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? And all you younger guys think it's LeBron. But let me just give you a little history piece on LeBron. LeBron was by far one of the best basketball players to ever play. But he was at the Cavaliers and he could not win a championship. Could not win a championship, although he's one of the greatest players of all time. LeBron came straight out of high school into the NBA, phenom, no and or buts about it. He really should be a linebacker. Now, that dude's way too big to play basketball. I mean, just, you know, just, and then when he falls down and why, anyway, that's a whole nother story. But, but he left the Cavaliers. Anybody remember when he left the Cavaliers? Anybody remember where he went to? Went to Miami. Who did he go to Miami to play with and play for? Pat Riley. Pat Riley's a champion. Guess who he had with him there? As kind of was the team captain at the time when he came over. Anybody remember? Dwayne, right? All right, Dwayne Wade. And so he gets there. Dwayne's coming to the end of his career. And what happens is for the first time in his life, he's not the best or the smartest or the biggest name in this team. His coach is better known than him. And as a result, he submits to learning how to be better than he's ever been. Takes four years there. They end up getting a couple of championships, and then where does he go back to? He then goes back to the Cavaliers, and then he wins a championship. Why? Because he needed to get out of being with the chickens and get over there with some eagles. And he learned a work ethic that he didn't have over there. He had natural talent over here. He needed to learn leadership that he had never developed over here because he never needed to develop. But he got around some folks that had every day had to grind it out and had to be real and honest with each other and say, you suck at this. Do this play better. He had never been told that. And Cleveland, Cleveland was just happy to have an all-star. We win games. Finally, we won some games. We never had a game-winning team. And over here, they're like, whatever. We win all the time. So let me show you how to win. And he submitted to the process of growing and taking himself to another level and then he started becoming a champion each and every one of you are going to be the sum of the friends that you spend time with and so you say I don't know why I'm living at this level look around and see who's around you because you're running with unwise you're spending effort and energy you're sitting around talking with your mom you, you know who's been retired and is bitter at life and you talk to her all day long on the phone and you can't figure out why you're bitter tell you why you're bitter because you're sitting there talking to her all day long you right America sucks. <laughs> Move on. Can't figure out. You know, she's still talking about your dad and how they had a divorce, you know, 40 years earlier. And you're like, oh, my God, all men are dogs. Just stop talking to her. That's who you're running with. You still with me? Say yes. yes. You're only going to be as godly as the people you surround yourself with. So be brave enough to let go of those who keep you from being like Jesus. Pastor Adam quote. That's a PA quote. Be brave enough to say, I love you, mm, but you need to be over here in my life. Because you're only, I don't understand why I struggle. My Christian walk looks like this with God. One day I love him. It's who you're running with. And so be brave enough to say, hey, I'm going to have to put this relationship at a distance right now. Because honestly, you're pulling me down. And I'm not getting closer to God the more we, we hang out together. And I started this with trying to help you and try to be an encouragement. But now what's happened is you won't come up to me and say, you're pulling me down to you. You know the old adage, you're standing on a chair. Is it easier to pull them up on the chair with you or them to pull you down? The gravity with them pulls you down. And if they're not willing to step into the chair and help you pull them up, 
and you're sitting in a situation that they're only going to pull you down. You still with me? Say yes. Here's a second big piece throughout the Proverbs that, he, uh, that the wisest guy on the planet teaches us, the chokmah of God, and that is accountability in friendships. Look what he says in Proverbs 27 and 6. So write this down. Number two, his number two big teaching piece about accountability, Proverbs 27 and 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. See, we don't like that, but this is a deep truth. Wounds from a friend is better than being kissed up on by people who are trying to get your position. See, some of you love to be flattered. It's amazing. It's, I watched a young man the other day flatter this older woman. She was ready to give him whatever he, he wanted. She's, oh, you so, how young are you, 37? This woman was in her 50s. She said, oh, baby, say it again. I was like, that dude right there is slick willy. That guy right there, you better watch him. Whereas it's better to have a friend say, ooh, sister, mm, yeah, you get a little wrinkly. We need to get up in that. We need to get you some moisturizer. Come on now. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses. And I just want you to understand, this is the whole vision of Hill City. Our whole vision, small groups, so some of you come to our church and you came from some other church, you have some past experience, and you think a small group is Bible study. It, our small groups are not Bible study. I hope you study the Bible. That'd be great. We want you to study the Bible together, but th th that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is trying to get you some friends who can cut on you to help you be some accountability in your life because you've gone to church your whole life and you still got an issue that no one wants to talk about. You're still bitter, you're still a gossip, you're still a slander, and you've been going to church your whole life. Why? Because no one's held you accountable. No one has wounded you to say, I love you, but that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing like that. And the moment they do, you're like, oh, everybody just treats me wrong at this church, and you go to the next one. You've been doing that for years. What we want you to have is true, and look what he calls it, wounds from a sincere friend. I want you to have sincere friends. I want you to have people who have your back. I want, I want you to be able to pick up the phone and they say, well, let me just tell you. Let me just speak that to you. Let me, just, let me just tell you what I see. And I love you enough to tell you and I love you enough to put our relationship in jeopardy because I know you're insecure in that area. But I love you enough to help you raise to the next level. Not to keep pulling you down and telling you what you want to hear. Kissing up to you. Just making you feel good about yourself when really that's not the truth. Of what, see, we call this whole process accountability. Yeah. Of wounding one another's pride. See, listen, every one of us needs somebody to say, hey, I hadn't seen you in a couple Sundays. What's going on? You, you judging me? No, I love you. And I'm willing to point that out to you, that there's something that's missing here. Each and every one of us need to have somebody say, hey, hey you know what? The way you spoke to your wife the other day while we were standing there at Chick-fil-A because we were about to have small group, that, that was rude, man. Do you do that all the time? And see, this is the reason why Dallas church life is so bad, because we love the plastic of a big city. We love, the, we love to put the, put the front on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, everybody. Today we're going to worship him. That this new song is going to rock your socks. Over. Let's praise him. And everybody's praising him. Praise him. The whole time we ain't nothing but a bunch of idiots who've never been accountable to our stupidity. We need accountability. This is, what the, this is what the wisest man on the planet is putting in his proverbs to his children and to everyone that would come after him. Let me teach you something. You want to have friends that will cut you. In fact, in, in Proverbs 27, 17, he says it like this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I want you to think that through for a second. That sounds beautiful. As iron sharpens iron. Ooh, my friend's going to sharpen me. 
Mm, think about this process of being sharpened. I had this moment yesterday. I was working on, on our property and chainsaws out. And I, my chainsaw, my chain flew off the thing. And I tried to put it back in the, if you've ever worked with a chainsaw, I tried to get the chain back, uh, you know, in, it, in the groove piece. That it, there's a little groove that the chain runs in on the chain bar. And I couldn't, and I realized the reason why is because when it threw the chain, it had splintered off. Some of the metals had kind of splintered off a little bit. And I was going to have to file them down to get it to work again. And so while I was there, I pulled out my iPhone. And I made you a little video explaining it. So go ahead and play that for them for yeah, just so a second. I am, I've been cutting with this chainsaw and uh, it got really hot, heat, and I was doing a lot of great work with it. But one of the little teeth in here, a couple of them actually, um, they kind of got bent. And actually what they did was they got little spur pieces. The metal kind of uh, splintered a little bit so they don't really fit in the grooves that they have to fit in. And so I'm literally have to take a, uh, you know, another piece of metal, if you will, it's iron sharpened as iron. And I've got to take this file and I have to literally sit here and I have to grind off, if you will, the little spur pieces, the metal spur pieces, so that they can work together again. My other option is I've got to throw the chain away. And, uh, but I just think it's worth keeping. I think uh, the connection of all these pieces are really good. Just got to file off the little spur pieces and uh, as iron sharpens as iron. So I want you to see the process. We all have little prickly pieces about us. We all have little splintered pieces because what we went through in the past, because of, of, of how we were raised. And we need men and women around us that's not scared to say, let me file on that a little bit. Let me take what I've been through and let me kind of, let me, let me iron sharpen that. Let me just file that off because honestly, we've got to work together. And what happens for many of you is the moment that God uses someone to start filing something off inside of you, you want to disconnect from the chain. You want to disconnect from the body. You're like, look, I don't want nobody judging me. And what happens is it hits those core fears that you're not good enough. It's that thing, that, you know, I'm being judged. And so you immediately begin to pull back. I start watching you. You're in this small group group and you got some good friendship going and all of a sudden someone brings out something about you or they don't handle it the way you think they should have and what it is is God using them to file off that prickly stuff and then all of a sudden you start backing off then we stop seeing you a little bit why because this is the plan of the enemy I can throw the chain away and go get a brand new and I can I can hire that in I know how to get a bunch of good people up in this church and how to attract them and we can all be plastic but at the end of the day we've all got little shards we all got little metal bit places that we need to let the Lord file that off and he uses brothers and sisters in Christ to file on that thing is iron sharpeneth iron so another brother or sister sharpen one another we need that in our life and instead of running away from it and I'm going to tell you it's going to get hot it's going to be frustrating it's going to be grinding and you're going to be like I don't want to hear it anymore who you think you are and you got to squelch that squelch that and say no Lord I submit to the process of filing this thing off we had some leaders in this church early on in this church and man they were from up north they had come down in this area and man I I tell you, at first, for the first year, I just let them be who they were, and they just were ticking everybody off. They just, typical northerners, they were saying whatever came to their mind, they just run their mouth about people. And finally, I pulled them aside and said, I love you, but you are prickly. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, have you ever tried to hug a porcupine? That's you guys. Every person you get close to, you stab them. Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating, and I'm telling you, people don't like you. And it's not because, and they were like, well, we just got to tell the truth. We just got to say what we say. We just got to speak the truth. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us about speaking the truth in love. You're not doing anything in love. You're doing it out of self-righteousness. And not only that, but would you like me to speak all the truth that I see about you right now? 
Would you like me to download all the mess that I see in your life and in your marriage and the way you're raising your kids right now? Then why would you do that to everybody as though you have been sent by the Holy Ghost yourself to be that to everyone, everyone in the place? And I literally told them, you, I'm going to sand off these prickly things that you have because you're wounding our congregation. And if you submit to me, I'm going to make you a great leader. If you don't, then you're going to be like everybody else that peels off and gets mad. And we're going to have more church splits around the world because you won't let anyone sand off these prickly places in your life. Friend, a friend who loves you is iron sharpened iron. And look what Proverbs 27, 9 says. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. I challenge you. I challenge you. Get some good godly friends in your life. Get some folks in this church and let them sand on you a little bit. Submit to that process because you need that sweet counsel. It is good for you. It is good for me. It's good to have these kind of relationships. And, and you know, I can't, I, I, I say this all the time to people. It's like, I can't give you a counsel if you won't submit to accountability. I can't give you good counsel if you won't submit to accountability. And so here's my question. Every man and woman in this room watching online, everyone connected to Hill City, who can speak into your life? Who has the right that you give? Because it's a right. You give it away or you hold it back from people. Who has the right? Well, my pastor, I, how am I going to do that with every one of us? We need each other. And this is why we built this whole church about, about relational lines and small group life. Helping one another, standing on one another, working through these moments of grinding and, and, and filing off. And it, uh, maybe they didn't do it right. Maybe, maybe you know, they could have done that better. But you're right about that. That, that brought my, my pride up whenever you said that to me. And I know that needs to be crucified. Who has the right to walk like that with you? Who have you let be friends in your life? So, well, my cousin is my friend. You know, he lives in Alaska. Well, how, how's that working? you got a body of believers right here. And if we'd all just link in together, and if we just keep that place of, I love you so much, can I just point this out to you? You're right. And can I point this out to you? And we start working this thing together. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. And then I'll move you to the third thing that he really covers in this book of Proverbs. And again, I read through the whole book trying to get you all the big wisdom points in reference to relationships or friendships, excuse me. And he gives us... Point number three, he gives us reasons that we have relational drama. He said, I'm going to tell you why you got relational drama. Anybody got any relational drama in your life? Don't, don't raise your hand. I don't want your wife to think you're talking about her right now, okay? We all have relational drama somewhere. And let me tell you, he gives us some reasons. He starts, let's start in Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. You got quarrels in your friendship circle? Somebody's got hatred. Somebody's got bitterness. Someone's got offense. Someone's got a bit, or even maybe jealousy. I mean, hatred's kind of this, in the Hebrew, it was a, a kind of an all-inclusive word that would represent offense, uh, bitterness, whatever it may be. If you've got quarrels in a friend group, if you've got relational drama, Proverbs 10, 12 tells us that some of that's coming from somebody in that friend group's got hatred. Goes on to say, but love. Everybody say, but love. But love, but love makes up. For all offenses. But love, it's so easy to walk in love even when you know somebody in the friend group has offense. When someone in the friend group is holding on to bitterness when they shouldn't. 
It's so much easier to just say, you know what, I love you, I love you, I'm going to cover that over, you're being just such a butt right now, but I love you, you're my friend, I'm going to stick it out with you through this season of your life until you can get past this or get over it. And then there's a moment somewhere in that whole thing where you are going to have to either let go of them or have a clear, firm engagement and do Matthew 18 where you go to your brother and say, listen, according to Matthew 18, and confront them. This is wounding. This is hurtful. This is destructive. And the reason why we don't have healthy friendships is because we don't obey the scriptures. Because this drama is the result, according to Proverbs 10, it can be the result of hatred or offense or something like that. When I was first uh, assistant youth pastor to my pastor Rick, Pastor Rick always had this habit of bringing in strays into our inner circle. He just finds some dude that's barely saved. He'd bring him into our inner circle, the, the group that ran the ministry. And uh, here we all were. We're committed believers. And he finds some dude barely saved, you know, just got off of drugs. And he'd bring him in there. And so he always just had this heart for people that everyone else would look past. I'll never forget he brought this one guy in. This guy was older than, than the rest of our team. And, and he's married with kids. And, and, and Pastor Rick, I'm Pastor Rick's number two. I'm his assistant. And Pastor Rick's getting close to this guy. I didn't even know what was happening inside of me. But obviously, I'm starting to get offended and jealous. They're spending time together. They got little inside jokes like, I'm, the, I'm your number two. And I, all I'm getting is text messages like, do this. Like, what happened to the friendship? And this guy's he's wormed his way into my friendship group. Taking my pastor away from me. And I didn't even realize I was becoming that way. And we're riding in the car. And Pastor Rick's driving. And this joker's sitting in the front seat. I'm number two. Sit in the back seat, sucker. So I'm sitting in the back seat, man. And they're doing something, talking about something. And all of a sudden, they say something and ask me something. And whatever response I gave to this joker in the front seat, he obviously, it, obviously my true colors came out. And I'll never forget. He, he looked over at Pastor Rick. And he turned around. And he looked back at me. He goes, have I offended you? Have I done something to upset you? Because if I have, I'll make it right. Tell me what you did. And the moment he does it, I go, uh, uh, no, man, huh? what do you mean? Uh, come on, just like all of us. Well, huh? well, well, I can't even put it together. I don't even know I can't stand your guts right now. But when he confronts it, it makes me confront me. I came up with some excuse for it, and I got home that night, I'm on my face talking to God, and God's like, see, you got jealousy, and that has turned into bitterness, and I'm working that out of you. This guy is just one of many that Pastor Rick's going to reach out to. Your identity's not in whether or not Pastor Rick loves you more than everybody else. Your identity's in me. And I said, you're right, Lord. We had to work that thing out. Why? Because there was conflict in the relationship, and I didn't even realize I was, I was the point of reference. It was coming from me because I had some bitterness in my heart towards a guy who was taking my place. And let me just give you my advice when there's hatred in a, in a friend group, when there's bitterness in a friend group. My advice to you is life is short. And if you can't get that love going again, you need to move on. That thing will kill you. And you try with all you can to do all the scripture says. But if not, you've got to... Let it go, let it go, and go on. There are so many great people in this world. It's okay for you to say, that guy across the, across the, uh, the, the congregational, you know, say, you know what, I love him, but he and I, we didn't work well together, man. So, so he's in another small group now, and I'm over here. Praise the Lord. I got nothing bad to say. It just didn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work anymore. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. Come on, you better. That say yes. yes. 
Here's another reason that you may have drama in relationships. Proverbs 22.10. If you drive away those who make fun of others, fighting also goes away. Arguing and unkind words will stop. Look what he lays out for us. If you drive away those who make fun of others, fighting, so you got fighting in relationships, goes away. Arguing and unkind words will stop. So if you've got arguing and unkind words and fighting going on, then there's a problem with someone in that group that's making fun of others. It may very well be you. It may be a habit that you picked up where you just make fun of people. You, and it, it's real sweet. I, I, I pulled this you know, out, of, out of, I think it's, the, um, the, the, it's NIV. And literally, um, the making fun of could also be translated into picking at. Pulling on their weaknesses <clears throat> is the best way to describe that. And so, you know, you've been on a team where a number of the people suck in your office, in the, where you work. You know, they're not as high caliber as you. And you know you're sitting around coffee pot, and you're like, yeah, they suck, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, whew, they are causing us so much problems. Uh, I told the boss the other day, they need to get rid of them. And I don't know about you, but the scripture is saying to me that when I do that, I'm literally causing fights. I'm causing arguing and unkind words, they'll all come to an end if you'll just get me to shut up. If I'm that person doing that. And so what happens in these relationships, whether it be jealousy, maybe it be frustration. But I know for me, I have done this, but I didn't do it to hurt someone. I process out loud. I'm a communicator. So when I'm going through something, when I'm thinking through something, I'll get a phone call or text message, and this is what I've done wrong in the past, and the Lord's really helped me with it. I'll get something like, oh my, and if you're standing there with me, this dude's an idiot. You've got to be kidding me. I'm a pastor. This guy's in there. You're not going to believe what they just did. I'm processing it, so I process it out loud instead of shutting my mouth. And so I'm processing it out loud, and now this person sitting here is like, if he says that about that person, what's he saying about me? That's what you create. And you create this trouble that doesn't need to be created simply because I'm processing out loud. And that's what some of us do. And I understand that because I've had a bad habit in the past. And the Lord's really had to help me and get, get me free from that whole piece. And so here's what Proverbs 20, uh, 16, 28 then says. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. So he gives you another reason why there is relational drama. And that is because someone is perverse in the midst of this whole relational thing, and they're causing or they're stirring up dissension. And perverse doesn't mean sexual here. It just simply means twisted. They got twisted. Something has happened, and they're twisted in the way they see it. They're twisted. They're all, they're all twisted. They're all knotted up. And because a perverse man stirs up. So you got someone on your team, someone you're friends with, someone in your friend circle, and they're causing all kinds of, just all kinds of like, well, man, people are talking bad about each other now. I got a text message from, from, uh, from, from Tyreek and said that he said, what? And why, what? What day? What I said said that you was there, and when you couldn't make it to the bowling alley, and this happened, and he confided that you didn't tell me not to tell you, but I can't handle that. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confront you, and you got like, oh my God, drama. Like why? And it's because someone who's twisted up is stirring up dissension, and it says, and a gossip separates close friends. A gossip separates some people are so purposeless that they stir up stuff. And can I just challenge you? Live with purpose so you won't stir up stuff. 
I, just live with purpose. If you live with purpose, you ain't got time to say, I don't really know what she said. I mean, she said something like that. I don't think she meant it like that. I know she loves you. And no, I don't know. Well, you were standing there. Yeah, listen to me. I'm living a great life. And I'm not going to get myself all tied down into a, purpose, a person who had a moment of fleshliness. We all have moments of fleshliness. There's no reason to propagate that. We all say stupid things. We all have moments. And it, gossip goes around. Do you know what they said while you weren't standing there? Can you believe that? Did you see her Facebook post? I think what she meant was. That's what she meant. I mean, I don't know about you. That's how I read it. How you read it? Because that's how I read it. That's how I see it. And look, this is why you got drama in relationships. And the scripture is so clear. He's like, let me give you the chokmah of God. The wisdom. You can navigate through all of that and have great friendships if you get out of this gossipy stuff. If you push away this kind of dissension. Go find out where the dissension is at. Deal with it and move on. Find the gossip. And literally what it says, uh, gossip separates close friends. I'm telling you, find the gossip and kill it. Kill it. Say, listen, I'm going to give you a chance in this. I feel like you've been talking bad. I heard you say this or say that. I don't care. I, I, I'm just, listen, I'm, what did I do that I can fix this so we can stop all this? Just tell me how to repent to you because I want to move on. Life is short. you my friend. I want to be friends with you for life. So how can we fix this? That, just get to the place of killing that stuff and then don't, don't propagate it. Move on with your life. Are you with me today? Say yes. Then he moves on to teach us, and this is my fourth point, out of all these wisdom pieces about relationships, he gets into weaponizing our words. And he talks to us deeply about how we weaponize our words. And we'll start in Proverbs 11 with this concept. Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, it is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. It's foolish. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. If I've ever had any issue in small group life, it's been, man, I shared my heart, and next thing I know, it's out there. I thought what was said here stays here, and they shared it with this person, and they shared it with that, and Pastor Adam, I just can't, I don't know, I just, relationships are hard, guys. Friendships are difficult. They're, and, and we've got to get good at it, because at the end of the day, this building will not exist at some point. These meetings will come to a close. But the friendships that you establish in Christ will last you a lifetime. They'll be there for you in difficult moments. We'll look at that here in a second too. But, so he gives us these concepts about weaponizing our words. He said it's foolish. Everybody say foolish. foolish. It's foolish to belittle one's neighbor. It's dumb. Don't belittle them. So man, that dude right there don't ever cut his grass. He's an idiot. It's foolish to belittle. And he goes on to say, he says a sensible person keeps his mouth shut. He keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy keep a confidence. Can I tell you what I've learned? Shut up. I don't need to give my opinion in every conversation. That's hard for me because I'm very opinionated. And I'm telling you, it's hard for me because I see people's weaknesses because that's the life I live as a pastor. I can see it. And I, and I want to help but running my mouth does not help. And it's where we hurt one another. And we weaponized our words when we should just shut up. We don't need to talk about it. We're praying through that thing. I've told many a person, they'll get to talking about, about somebody. What do you think about that? What do you think about how the, how the ladies are dressing on Sunday on the worship team? Don't you think? I'm like, hey, how about we just pray? 
Let God do something in that group. I can't fix all that. All I know is what Jesus, ooh, we need Jesus right now. Come on. It's quick. You want to kill gossip? You say, let's just get on our knees and pray about that right now. Come on. Let's just do that right here. And that's and we got to do that within our own self. Because you come home from work, you've been working with a friend all day long, and you want to tell your husband or you tell your wife, and they stupid heads and dumb, and they're your best friend. Why do we do that? Because we just want to process that dumb moment or their fleshly thing that they did. But the Bible literally tells us that we need to keep our mouth quiet. A, pers- a sensible person keeps quiet. I, uh, I was years ago when I was uh, in transition, I was youth pastor, and I was leaving Louisiana, and I got a call from a, a very famous pastor out in California. He had been in Louisiana, where I'm from, and he had pastored there, and he moved on to California. His church blew up. It was all over the news how fast they were growing. And his best friend had been with him when he had been a youth pastor. He was his assistant youth pastor. Then he became a senior pastor in Louisiana, and his best friend came alongside of him and did his youth ministry there. Then they moved to California, and his best friend, who was only a few years younger than him, did the youth ministry there in California. Well, I get a call from this senior pastor, and he goes, I really am looking for somebody like you. I said, well, well, wow, what are you looking for? He goes, well, let me just say this. My last youth pastor, who I know is his best friend, and he starts listening all the things that he's not good at and how he needs someone like me. He's trying to motivate me that he needs somebody like me. But let me tell you the first thing I thought. If you will dump your best friend in a conversation with somebody young like me, the moment I move out to California, I'm a year into that thing, and you're going to dump me. If you can't be loyal with your words, you've weaponized your words against, and I'm sure they were having whatever staff conflict or whatever, but you've weaponized your words against him to me. You're going to do that to me. It's what a man sows, that shall he also reap. I had enough sense to never go to California because of that one thing. I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure they they probably had just had some kind of conversation that frustrated him. And all of this stuff came out of the senior leader. And he communicated to me, a younger leader at the time. And all it did was give me enough sense to go, that's a habit that he's in now. He's weaponized his words. Anytime he's frustrated with someone, and he's going to do that to me. And he ain't about to do that to me. Because I will cut you. I mean, I'm... Well, I ain't living no California life. I live in a southern... Anyway, all right, so moving on. <laughs> and so here's... This is what he tells us. This is what he tells us Proverbs 12, 18 about this weaponizing our words. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And so I just telling them the truth, but did it bring healing? Because truth will bring healing if it's done well. All you did was cut people. So did it bring healing or did it bring hurt and pain and suffrage? Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And I would teach you, and that's why every Sunday I have them quote that Proverbs that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we speak life over you. And I have different leaders get up here and speak life over you, speak life over you. Why? Because we get cutting remarks all throughout the week from people that we work with, people that we trust, and they cut us. And they don't mean to. That's just... Now we are in a cycle of that. We need to break that cycle. Speak only what builds others up. He said, well, I just got to speak my mind. No, you need to take control of your mind. If I spoke everything that came into my mind, I'd be in jail. Seriously. You, you, just because it comes into your mind don't mean you need to speak it. It's not really, it doesn't have to be truth just because you thought it. 
it can be a lie from the pit of hell that you need to take captive. It can be, it can be a present reality, but a future deterrent. So you're like, that is what's going on right now. Yeah, but if you speak this, then you can never get to this. So you speak this. That's why you call him a man of God, even though he's a 16-year-old acting like a fool. You call him a man of God. You don't speak death over him right here. He's making bad choices. He's 16. We all made stupid choices at 16. We can call him where he needs to be. I'm not going to speak death over him. I'm going to speak life over him and get him to that. Because if I get him to that, he can, if I speak life over him, he can see the pathway. But if I speak what he is right now and how he's acting right now, and then I'm destined to be that person. So I speak life instead of speaking death. That's what he tells us in Proverbs 26, 18. He says, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. Listen to me. Oh, I was just kidding, man. I was just messing around. No, you weren't. And those words take on life. And once they take on life, once you speak them, they come alive. And they're out there. They can't be brought back. That's why the best thing we could ever do is go, ooh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What you got to say, but ooh, I ain't got nothing to say. My grandma taught me if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. I'm going to keep my, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly, well, crazy person. We've seen these people go crazy with these weapons and start, start, start shooting people random, these mass shootings. Crazy, out of their mind. So is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was just joking, just kidding. Repent of lying and move on. It's not that easy, not that hard. Here's the fifth big truth that he goes into in friendships, and that is he teaches us how we're all going to have hard times. So during hard times, guess what you need to have built up? A good friend. A good friend. Proverbs 27.10. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father. So the, so the great wise man says, listen, you got a family friend. Y'all's family's had a friend. Don't abandon them. Don't abandon a friend just because you're in difficult times, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. So what he's, what he's laying out is, listen, if you develop good friendships, tight friends, if you develop friends that have been through some things, we've hurt each other, we've repented at each other, and we walked through some things, and, we, and we've owned our failures, if you build friendships like that, then when disaster hits, when disaster hits, not if, when disaster hits, you won't have to go try to find a family member off in the distance because you've got someone who knows you right here. You don't have to go ask Aunt so-and-so who barely even knows you. She knows you from high school when you live close by. She don't know you anymore. You're not that person anymore. You don't have to go find a family member off in the distance because you've got a close friend right here that will be with you when you're going through disaster. That's what he's saying. Keep that close. Develop true friends. Look what he says in Proverbs 18.24 in the same concept. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. A true friend sticks by you like... It's one thing to have a person stick with you when you've been falsely accused. It's another thing to have the kind of friend that will stand with you when you've been busted. Like, I did it. You're right. I got caught in it. I tried to get out of it. But this person stood with me and kept standing with me and took it on the chin. Yeah, he's my friend. Yeah, he did that. But he's my friend. I stand with him. I know he blew it, but I'm thinking, if you've never had a friend like that, then you have wasted your life. Test somebody that you walked through some things together and say, you blew this one, bro. And it hurt me and it hurt everyone around us, but I'm here with you. And I'm not leaving you just because you, you screwed up. 
If you haven't had that kind of friendship, this is what church is supposed to be. This is what Christian friendship is supposed to be like. And you've got to fight to develop it. It don't come natural. It don't just happen magically. You've got to get some sanding on each other and bonding with each other and going through the honeymoon stage come to an end where we thought each other was so great and now we're like, I don't like you. We're in the conflict stage and you fight through the conflict stage. I'm going to stick it out with you. I'm staying with you. Sticking it out beside you. This is what he's talking about. Develop those kind of friendships. So during hard times, you don't fall apart because disaster, hard times will come to you. It will happen. Who will stand with you then? Only those that you spend a lot of time investing in that friendship. We always talk about it like this. You make deposits so that when the moment comes that a withdrawal has to happen, you don't overdraw the account. So I'm constantly making deposits into my friendship relationships because there are going to be moments where I have to make a withdrawal on that account. And if I have a, such a tough time that I, I've not made any deposit, you know what this is. You can, you can have grace on someone who's been there for you, pouring into it. It's hard to have grace on someone who does you wrong and have never made any positive de deposits into the account. This is the key teaching that I learned years ago. Here's the next piece. Number six, we've got to move fast. You guys are listening slow, so we've got to move on. Um, here's the next thing. And he spends... Almost every other chapter or so, he gets down into this whole thing. This is the sixth big principle about friendships, and that is he teaches us not to co-sign. I, I don't know why the greatest, wisest man on earth who tapped into the supernatural wisdom of God would go over and over about that. Other than, let me just read it to you, and, he's, and, he, and he really gets down into He's looking at us like children, and he says, My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt... Or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger? If you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself. For you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg, and have your name erased. Get it off the contract. Don't put up for it. Uh, uh, don't put it off. Excuse me. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. He is so passionate about this, and, and I think probably I've, I've avoided this, but I think there's some of you have literally co-signed on some things. You've gotten in some partnership with some people that wasn't wise to do, and he says, get out of it. Do whatever you can to get out of that partnership. Get, get your name off that contract with that group of people, that person. Why? Because you come into partnership with people that don't see the way you see, live the way you live. You've co-signed on a debt for somebody else, and when they go down, they're taking you down with them. And I had a situation like this. this a third party a friend of mine brought me into a relationship, a business relationship, about, uh, about 15 years ago with a, with a group. And, and they were Christians, but they didn't quite have Jamie and I's DNA. And we came into partnership with them, and I lost our life savings because of that partnership. And, and if I'd had enough sense, I'd have gotten out of that deal. There were moments where it started looking like, and I should have, I should have pushed hard. We could have kept the friendship, lost the friendship over it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Get out of those so you can save the friendship. You, you, you literally need to tell somebody, listen, I love you. Doing business with you is going to cause us to hate each other. Let me out of this thing. Because I, I, I don't, I don't want to be in this anymore. I think we're going in separate directions. What do I need to do to get out of this? That's literally the concept. I would expand that. To, um, this is how I operate. When someone asks me to borrow something, I try never to loan it to them. What I try to do is like, how can I give you this? Because if you borrow it, you're going to break it, and then I'm going to hate you. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. If I loan you my car and you blow it up, you're going to bring it back and say, you, I don't know. You already didn't have enough money to have your own car, so you borrowed mine. And so I have learned over the years to just say, listen, I cannot loan you this because it's critical to me, but I can give you this to help you get where you want to go. 
I will give this to you so that we can have a friendship. I can love you. You don't have any problem with me. We had a guy in our church back in the day. He would literally help people and loan people, but then he had an expectation that they would then come and meet all of his needs. And so he literally didn't give. He basically bartered to try to get something from you by loaning you something. And he created so much havoc in our church that we literally had to cut the relationship off. And they don't go to our church anymore. But that was his mindset. He, he, he literally would offer up these things. And then he would hold you in some type of situation where you felt beholden to him from there, that point forward. And I literally told him, that's a, that's a stronghold in your life. You need to get set, set free. Do won't you just give stuff away? And I think that would be better. Instead of, instead of you know, loaning and things like that, a better way might would be, can I give you this? And then that way, if you burn it down, if you break it, it's yours. I gave a car away to a guy, and, uh, and he sold it within a couple months. Didn't bother me. It bothered me when the first woman did that to me years earlier. Because I was like, I blessed you, and then you went and sold it and got a nicer car off the money that I gave you. And then I got set free. Like, wait a minute. I gave it to them. They can do whatever they want with it. Just do whatever you want. And so it set me free. I, I learned how to do those relationships, whereas before I didn't know how to do it. And the last one that it will cover, and we got to close out, and he gets major into this, and this is the last big point in all these 31 chapters, Proverbs 11:30. the seeds of good deed, deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. A wise person win, wins friends. So he literally goes into a deep, dark wisdom place that most people never connect. God has done something deep in your life, something powerful in your life, so that you can win others, so that others can come to Christ. That's what, in fact, most people quote this out of the King James or out of a different version where it literally says, is that a wise person wins souls, makes converts. Uh, now, you have to understand, the Jewish people had came into this problem situation. They were God's people. God had picked them, and he literally says all throughout his relationship with them so that you can be a light to all my other, all my other creation, all, my other, all the other humans on the earth, how good it is to be in relationship with the living God so they'll be attracted and they'll come to me through you. But what happened over the years is the Jewish people became selfish with their relationship with the Lord, and they literally would not shine forth the light into the pagan world. In fact, their concept, and still is today, that we will never proselyte. We'll never try to get you to see, come into the right relationship with God. We don't want to go and pressure you, talk to you about that. We won't proselyte. That's exactly the opposite of what God says throughout the scripture. And the wisest man on the planet says, because God's done such good stuff in you, you become like a tree of life. He goes, then be wise and literally go use that to win people to God. To win friends. Before there, you know, 3,000 years ago when this was being written, before there was ever a book on, you know, how to win friends and influence people, you know, before there was ever this sales piece about how to connect with people so you can get them to buy your product, the wisest man in the world said, God has done stuff in your life. Use that to get close to other people so you can help them so that they can have the same relationship with the living God that you have. And that's how I would close out today. God wants you to have good friendships. Every person that you get close in friendship with will get closer to God because you're close to God. Don't negate that process. Don't think that, oh, I just don't want to pressure anyone. Listen, God will use everyone. Do you understand the statistics? If every person in the world who called themselves Christians would influence one person a year, within three to five years, we'd win the whole world to Jesus. Every soul on the planet would be Christian. It's because most of us have never influenced anyone to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
because we don't make friends with anyone. We keep our little tight friend circle. We don't have open space. One of the key reasons why we don't do small groups that are just in, uh, ter- uh, locked in circles that no one else can join is I don't want to be a part of a clique. I want to be a part of relationships that let other people who are hurting into those relationships so they can grow and get closer to Jesus like we have. Are you with me today? Say yes. So these are the seven biggest pieces that I could pull out out of Proverbs on how you and I can literally have good, healthy friendships because of the wisdom and the choices that we make. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hope this- hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469 606 2684 and uh, we want to respond and again just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with jesus don't forget next week we are here again same place same time nine o'clock and until then we hope you have an amazing